Please turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. How many of you have ever been working on something and it seemed like at every turn there was opposition? That ever happened to anybody? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you came this morning because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about facing opposition. It seems like sometimes, even when we're doing the Lord's work, or even being obedient to Him, that opposition comes. And more often than not, when we are being obedient, the enemy will show up because that's what he doesn't like. And so when we face opposition from the enemy, that should be an encouragement to us that we're on the right track. And so we're going to begin in Ezra chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through verse 7. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's household and said to them, Let us build with you, for we like you seek your God. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Eshkodon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will, build, will together build to the Lord God of Israel as king of Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Verse 4, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, in the reign of Ahasuerus, the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bish, Bishlam and Mid, uh, Mithridath, Tabel and the rest of his colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the, the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that you will speak to us as we travel through these verses. And I ask that you will reveal to us what you are saying here, and Father, we know that when we get on board with what you would have us to do, that the enemy will show up, as we see here. And so I pray right now that we'll be on guard. And Father, I thank you for your word. Father, you're, you always have perfect timing. And so I ask, Father, that our hearts will not only resonate with your word this morning, but that we'll draw from you what you have for each one of us. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we discuss facing opposition, we will see that, or we will examine infiltration, discouragement, and accusation. Because all three of these are ways that the enemy works. We begin with infiltration. Uh, chapter 4 begins with the enemies of Judah and Benjamin taking note that these people were rebuilding the temple. So here they are. They're in the land. They had been there for a while. They had taken hold, if you will. These, all these folks are returning. 
And they're watching them start to rebuild this temple, this temple worship to the Lord God of heaven. And we have to realize that the enemy is going to take note when we begin to work God has called us to. People see, God not only sees, but the enemy sees. And the enemy is our enemy. It's not just a name we give him. He has an intent and a desire to derail us in our walk and what God has called us to as a body. And to that I say no. And to that I say we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord and not be derailed by those things. But the steps that he takes here is to come alongside, to work his way and say, let me, let us build with you. And so they approach them, claiming the same beliefs and voicing a willingness to work with them to accomplish the task. Now, wouldn't we love to hear that? People come saying, I believe what you believe. I want to get in there with you. And let's dig in and make this happen. <clears throat> and it would sound great to the ear, wouldn't it? The problem is, they knew of them. They knew them. They knew these enemies and what they believed. And they addressed it. It may not be in our best interest to accept all offers of assistance. I have had offers in the past that I turned down. And I'm going to tell you one of the biggest offers I had would have forced me to say that I don't believe that God, that this book is God's word. And when somebody offered assistance and I knew that was the catch, I told them, thank you, but no thank you. Because if God's, if we compromise this word of God, we have nothing to stand on. We have no foundation. We have no rock. We have no cornerstone. We may as well not even have a savior. Because he is the word and the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we reject any part of it, we reject him. And so we will not do that. Even if it conflicts with what we believe, we will bring our beliefs under subjection to the word of God and accept what he said, not what we think we know. And so here, they said no to that. They wanted but recognized that the enemy will try to cozy up to us first. He will try to come in as a friend. He will try to act like he cares and believes and wants to work just like us. And so we must use discernment to not let that happen. With wisdom, Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the other leaders recognized their deception. The deception that they were, of them claiming that they were the same, and sent them packing. They sent them packing and said, no, we're going to do this ourselves. You're not going to come in. You're not going to come in. And it's important that we walk together of one mind. See, <clears throat> there's a couple of takeaways in there for us. We need to pray. Listen, we, I covet your prayers. You need to pray for your leaders to have wisdom and insight. Have wisdom and insight. It's important. It, listen, <laughs> wisdom comes from God, right? Anybody who asks of him, he will give him liberally. That's the only liberal thing we enjoy in the Bible. <laughs> 
but he gives to them liberally if you ask for wisdom. And so we need to have wisdom. We need to, we need to walk and lead in wisdom, hear the voice of God, act as he's leading, and say yes when he speaks. And know and recognize that everybody that presents themselves is not our friend. So pray for us. If, you're, if you ever have a day where you don't know what to pray for, pray for me. So if you're like, if you ever have that thought, you know, everything's going good, think, pray for Mark. <laughs> Odds are. <laughs> pray for Stephen. Because I'll tell you, music is a front line, for sure, of attack. I've seen it, I've watched it, I've been in church ministry for a lot of years now. And it's definitely a front line of attack. But so pray for your leaders. You must have common ground. Here's the second takeaway. You must have common ground if you're going to walk together. We're told in Amos 3.3 that unless the two agree, how can they walk together? That's why we have a new members class. That if anybody wants to join, we go through the class and kind of talk about who we are, what we believe. You know, where we're headed, what God's been doing here, what he sent the church to do. What he's called us to do. So we start out and we know from the beginning whether we're on the same page. Because we have to walk together. It's important. And so since they could not infiltrate, that was unsuccessful. They, then they tried to discourage them. See, they want to come from within. Then they're going to come from without. That's their next tactic. So if you can't stop someone from the inside, you work from the outside. And they, they really, discouragement is one of the things here. There's really like three of them. Uh, they, they begin to discourage. See, anybody here ever been discouraged? Right? It's a powerful emotion, isn't it? Man, when you're discouraged, you don't want to do nothing. You don't want to, don't open the blind, don't let the sun in. And discouragement often leads to depression, doesn't it? And so, if I can get God's people depressed, they're not going to participate in the work. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And so, the enemy will do that with us, too. Well, you know, Mark, you keep banging your head against the wall. Nothing. God, where's God? He's not doing anything. And God's at work all along. We just don't always see it, right? We're visual creatures. But we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. And so when we forget the word of God, it creates openings for the enemy. And we start to get discouraged. And it leads into depression. It can drive us into a do-nothing attitude, remove our interest in the work, and then even end in depression. Discouragement is a powerful force of the enemy. To that, we say no. But he didn't leave it there. He moved into to dealing with fear. He frightened them from building. Listen. You ever been afraid? You ever been afraid to go in or afraid to do something? Or have Anybody here been, been afraid of failure and not acted? Listen. Failure is not acting. 
Not the results. We don't control the results. The results belong to Him. It's not failure to if we don't get the results we think we should get. Because we don't always know exactly what God is up to, right? How many of you were talked to more than once before you came and prayed and received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Anybody? Imagine the first person that said, well, they didn't pray, so that was useless. No, it wasn't. You can't go harvest fruit out of a ground that you haven't planted. And you can't harvest fruit out of a ground you haven't watered. And so everybody has a role to play. And that's how it works. And so fear, they were frightened. They tried to frighten them from building. Fear forces people into self-preservation attitude in which we revert to only protecting ourselves instead of putting ourselves at a perceived risk. Listen, I used to tell people, we need to crawl out on the limb and saw the limb off and trust God. Because if God cannot support us, then there's nothing, why are we relying on something else? Our eyes need to be on Him and He can handle it. This is not about what we can do for God. It's about what God created us for, for the works that He created from the foundation of the world. When He founded this world, He saw you and He had a plan for your life. And when we submit to him and what he's doing, those things come together, we come together, and they all seem to make sense. Things where we felt like we didn't fit, or this is weird, or why do you just want me to do that? But all of a sudden it starts to make sense as we see how the pieces fit together to work for what God has called us to. And that's how it happens. And so don't be discouraged. Know that he works that way. Know that he works through fear. But then they hired counselors to frustrate their counsel. Ooh, frustration. Anybody ever been frustrated before? And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah, frustration. Frustrated, frustrated with God? <clears throat> Y'all got quiet on me. <laughs> I've been frustrated with God. Well, how come you're not moving faster? You ever said that one to them? God, I thought this is what you wanted. Where's my control freaks? <laughs> Amen. They're, yeah, they're spreading. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of have this being, and we see how God is, and we want God to work this way, and, and his word says this, so he has to do that. Listen. How God accomplishes his task and applies his word is up to God. You know, I was talking to somebody once and they asked me, this is actually another pastor, and they asked me what color the sky is. And I said, it's whatever color God calls it. Because he defines it. I said, if he calls that plaid, then that's plaid. God's word is the beginning and the end of what is. And so when we go into the work, see, this is the path of reconstruction, folks. God is building something here. He's building something unique. I am seeing, I am watching people come alive. I am watching God do a work in all of your lives. I am watching people around you being touched. It's an amazing thing. 
I'm just glad to be here to see it. Because it's the hand of God. This ain't, this ain't Mark. No, I can't do that. Believe me. I've tried. That's where I learned those prayers from. But when we get out of the way and let God do his thing with each one of us, somehow we come together and we, we, are, we work like a well-oiled machine. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so bless you. See, frustration leads to the idea that I'm wasting my time. You're, you know, if you're frustrated with something, you know, why am I wasting my time here? And sometimes we think that in the work of God. You know, somebody the other day says, well, I never get tired of the work. I never get tired of that. You know, we get tired in the work, but not of the work. Because we live in fallen bodies. And so when frustration sets in, it'll change your perception of the work. These tactics are, were meant to interfere with their obedience to God. You know, I asked a missionary once, I was kind of a, uh, some of y'all might find this hard to believe, I was kind of a, a smart aleck, young 20-something, and nobody said amen. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted the secrets to walking with God. We used to say walking with God. And so this missionary came back on furlough, and I was talking to him, and I said, in one word, what is the key to walking a successful Christian life? And with great wisdom, he looked at me and said, obedience. And I thought, I wanted something with more insight than that. But that shows you my immaturity and his maturity. Because that is the only way. There is no other way. Because, see, God delights in obedience over sacrifice. And we so often think, well, I've just got to give this to God. What can I do for God? And it's right there in Scripture. We pass right by it all the time. We want to do something for God. We want to bless God. What blesses God is when our lives fall in obedience because we believe that He is and that He is going to deliver on what He says. That is the greatest gift we give of getting Mark or Johnny or Sue or Sally out of the way and letting God do what He wants. That's what they were doing. And so they were dealing with infiltration, frustration. They were, they were trying to uh, discourage them. But then they, that didn't work either. They move on to accusation. The beginning, now this is really interesting. So at the beginning of the reign of Eusarius, you know and may have heard of him as Xerxes. Xerxes reigned from 486 to 465. The reason the latter date is, is smaller is because when we travel in time in B.C., the further we get from Christ, the larger the numbers get. So as we travel through time, the numbers get smaller because we're approaching zero, which we start over at Christ and begin to count ahead. And so we have a roughly a 21-year uh, uh, reign of Ahusarius. So during, in the, it says, in the beginning of the reign of Ahusarius, or Xerxes, 
And in the days of his son, Artaxerxes, who reigned from 465 to 424, he took up right after his father. The enemies write a letter of accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So they couldn't discourage the people. They couldn't get in there and derail it by being with them. So now they're going to try and take their permissions. They're going to go around them to the one who's covering them and giving them the ability to do this. The enemy's tactics were unsuccessful. And when they're unsuccessful, he changes over time. So when the enemy is successful in your life, he will keep doing it. He'll keep doing it. If he knows it gets you to walk away from God or trust in yourself, and that, I'm going to tell you, that is one of the biggest enemies. That is one of the biggest enemies of being in the center of God's will. Me having confidence in myself. Because that begins to produce self-righteousness. My confidence needs to be in nowhere else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What I can do, if I can do anything, He gives me the strength, the intellect, the mind, the understanding, the insight. It all comes from Him. I don't have any of that on my own without the hand of God being on me. None of it. Where did we come from? We were created. He is uncreated. How can we ever be arrogant in our own mind? It's just absolutely ridiculous. Why don't we start surrendering the gifts and the best side of us to the Lord to be used? Take, we want to surrender all the junk, don't we? Well, get that out of your life. That's terrible. Surrender that to the Lord. You've heard that before, right? Why don't you surrender your strengths to the Lord? Why don't we surrender the best part of us? The thing that we're most confident in, that's what really ought to be surrendered. Because our weaknesses, we have no confidence in, right? So the very enemy that lives within us of self-confidence or self-righteousness even... We yield to. And we say, well, let me do this for God. Instead of letting the hand of God take a highly, a highly gifted skill he's given us for his glory. Who did they hire to build the foundation? They hired who? Craftsmen. They didn't hire people who surrendered the ability to, for construction because they were terrible at it. God gave them those gifts. Let that be the thing that surrendered for his glory. That's what we ought to, that's what we ought to be doing down here on Sunday morning, or uh, at the end of service, is surrendering those things. Because they'll get in our way faster than anything. And so they begin to accuse them. We need to be prepared because the accusation will come. We're already hearing it. We're already hearing the accusation. Well, Christians are arrogant. Christians are unloving. Christians are narrow-minded. Christians don't care about anybody but themselves. Christians will cheat you. And so what we do is we back away from the name and we don't share the gospel. Let me tell you something. If that works, the enemy's going to keep doing it. Y'all know anybody who needs the Lord? If you don't, let me introduce you to some people I know. 
So why haven't we told them? Why haven't we told them? The opportunities are there if you're listening and looking for them. And so be prepared. If you do the math, their accusations, or at least their work on, on it, lasted over 20 years. Because it started from the beginning of the reign of Xerxes onto his son, into his son. If you read it, it's in there. This went on for 20 years. Well, how come God didn't stop him? How come God let that happen? God, how could you let that happen? They're building your temple. And we want to blame God for that. God gave us free will from the beginning, ladies and gentlemen. And when the enemy fills the hearts of people who don't know the Lord, he is going to continue to work and stay there. The enemy will not give up when we are seeking the Lord and doing his will. I mean, look around. These are the people in the battle with you. You are not alone. We are in this together, arm in arm. Success or failure. We walk this journey because Jesus succeeded on the cross. And we get to be there and be a part of it. We're invited. <coughs> a victory today doesn't mean there won't be a skirmish tomorrow. We see that here. They tried to come in. They said no. They tried to come in the scourge. They said, we're not going to be discouraged. They went above for 20 years, and that's not working either. We're going to get to the letter they wrote next week, trying to discourage, trying, that they wrote to the king. That'll be fun. But just when we have victory today, doesn't mean the enemy stops. Because the truth is, we already have ultimate victory, don't we? He's already lost. But he's trying to stop the, the spread of the gospel, the gift of giving people hope, of being there when somebody's hurting, of lifting one another up. He's trying to prevent the impact of God on the earth. And to that we say no. And so if we're going to face opposition successfully, there's some things that we must do. We must pay attention to the pattern of how the enemy works. He works among us. Then he works toward us. And then he goes above us. That's how the enemy works. So let's not... Let the enemy work among us. Amen? Amen? Let's not let these thoughts of, well, I can't believe that Bob. You know how Bob is. <laughs> division is a tool of the enemy. Do not let him divide us. Well... You know, we keep trying for the Lord. We keep doing this and we, we keep running. No, 
He's going to work from the outside. And then he's going to go above us and try to do that. Let me tell you something. Ain't nobody be able to touch us at all except Jesus allows it. And if he allows it, let's find out why. Let's learn the lesson so that he can remove the permission. <laughs> they are not sovereign. God alone is sovereign. You know how I know that? You know, everybody, y'all ever heard of the book of Job? Here's the thing, everybody wants to talk about Job, and they go, oh, that's rough, man. He had no way to touch Job unless God allowed it. And God had a purpose in letting him touch Job. Job had pride. And I would forge to say that there might be pride in some of us. I will say this, I'm sure there's areas of my life that have pride. Maybe. <laughs> but God is so, he's good at what he does, man. He'll strip it out. Remember, the enemy is very subtle before he becomes overt. See, they came in as friends before they came in as enemies. I'm here to help you. And we don't always catch those. I'm here to help you. Well, they're there to help themselves. Two, resistance from the enemy is evidence we're doing the will of God. So when we face difficult times, and we're going to, that's evidence that the enemy is at work and that we're doing what God wants us to do. As difficult as the enemy may make things, it's an indicator we're on the right track. And he'll use the, and he knows, he's, listen, he's been studying people for 6,000 years. He knows the imaginations of the heart. He knows how we function. He knows the things that feed our identity. He started it in the garden, folks. Let me tell you something. He is going to lie to you about who you are to get you to act a certain way that will go against the will of God. You want to know how I know that? Go back to Genesis. What did he tell Eve? He says, in the day you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he tied it to her identity when he talked to her about a behavior that could make her more like God. Right? So he implied, remember, not overt, came along as a friend, well, I want to help you be godly. And so when you do that, you'll be more like God. You'll be like him. And the truth is, she was made in his image. She was already like God. In perfection. Without a flaw. And he lied to her about who she was. And she went and, and ate and bit in. And guys, we're not at fault. She turned and gave it to Adam, and he also ate. He didn't stop her. He didn't say anything. Not only that, when she gave it to him, he just participated right in there. Complete advocation of leadership. 
Listen, I one of the best explanations of leadership that I saw was one, one of the boys that grew up here is now pastoring, and he was doing a wedding. And he used this in the wedding, and I thought, wow, that's really good. He said, you know, a lot of people talk about the wife being submissive to the husband, but it doesn't mean less than. It's just like Jesus is submissive to the Father, but they're co-equal. I thought that was really good. I've never considered it. Because we're supposed to love our spouses, Christ loved the church. And I'll tell you, men, if you'll love your wife the way Jesus loved the church, she'll love you back and follow you. She absolutely will. Ladies, isn't that what you're looking for? <laughs> and all the ladies said, Amen. Amen. And all the men said, Oh my. <laughs> we don't have to worry about, you know, it's so odd. That is used as a, as a, a stick. It's not meant to be a stick. It's meant to be a beautiful thing. Men, the ladies want to follow a godly man. And so, we have to be careful we don't let the enemy in. Resistance is evidence. We need to stay on the right track. It's evidence that we're on the right track. Three, do not let the enemy divide, discourage, or derail your obedience to the Lord. Remember, the enemy isn't sovereign. God is. Our joy comes from walking with him. Our joy is not found in ministry success. Well, and that's why I really am, am against these reports and everything you got to turn in because it's, it creates behavior to try to fill out those boxes and all that. I would rather walk and if God presents an opportunity, yes, let that be what it is. Let us, listen, if God, they're all around us all the time. And so don't let him discourage your heart. Don't let the enemy divide us, discourage us, or derail our obedience. You know, I had a friend this week, because um, I had something that happened that was really devastating to me. It was, it was a mistake. And I had a friend this week tell me, and I was telling him what happened. And he said, have you ever watched those football games where they make a mistake in the first quarter, one of the defense makes it, the guy gets by them, they score, and it turns the whole game around, or they throw an interception, and they're so discouraged that the game was kind of lost on that one play. You know what I'm talking about? You ever watch those games? He said, don't let one mistake ruin the game for you. Get back in the game. Learn from it, and get in the game. And I thought, that was great advice. It's a nice little kick in the pants. God sends people to kick us in the pants when we need it, amen? Yeah. Because I was devastated. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Game on, enemy. Four. Do not try to take on the enemy. I'm telling you this. Listen, you've heard this before. and This was a lot in the 70s. Well, I'm just going to kick the devil in the head. You ever heard that before? Um, uh, Sam Caffey, the brother of the guy who owns Chick-fil-A, he's a preacher. He used to come preach at our church when I was a boy. And, it's, and he would tell people, don't let the devil know where you got your goat tied. And as a boy, I was like, what? 
But what he's <laughs> what he's talking about is is not paying. Don't pay attention to him. Don't let him in. Don't let him come in and derail you. And so, don't take. It's not our job to deal with the enemy until it's right. Until we're being confronted, it's our job to focus on Jesus Christ. He says, "Set your mind on the things above." You know, there was. Um, this came out of my ordination, and they said, "How do you?" They asked me, "How do you deal with the devil?" Well, and I, I gave the answer. I love this because I was. I had the dean from my Bible college on my ordination council. I invited some previous pastor, a previous pastor. Um, some, and I, there was the Old Testament professor from the school that I went to. He was also there. So I stacked this thing against me because I wanted it to mean something. And they asked me, how do you deal with the devil? And I said, well, you resist the devil and he flees from you. And I sat there and there was this and it went silent. You know that, that silence that makes you want to talk? <laughs> and uh, I thought, uh-oh. This wasn't what they're after. <laughs> and uh, my mentor, the guy who I, I talked to when I was first feeling called, he says, brother. <laughs> that's always a bad sign when he says that. I've been trying to call him. I'd love to get him out here one Sunday. That'd be fun for me and you. But uh, he, uh, he said, brother, what's the other half of that verse? And I was like, and my mind went blank. My mind went blank. And I, and I told him, I said, honestly, my mind just went blank. And he said, let me tell you, the verse begins by submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so how we resist the devil is we submit ourselves to God. When we do that, that's the resistance of the devil. We don't have to worry about being strong. We are strong because we're strong in his mind, not our own. And so we worry about our walk with the Lord. He takes care of the enemy. Now, we'll deal with the enemy if the enemy shows up. But we'll be ready and we'll be in the spirit and we'll be in the moment we'll be where God wants us to be. And so when we face opposition, know that it's an evidence that we're on the journey. Because the enemy's not going to oppose us if we're not doing what God wants us to do. That's an evidence that you're walking with the Lord. And so, here's the deal. Don't take your focus off him in the past. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus on the Lord in the past that he brought before us. You know, there was a... Uh, <laughs> There was, I read this story, uh, this, there was a, uh, an article in Moody Monthly. You ever heard of Moody Bible College in there? Um, it was an article in there. It was written by Carl, I don't even know if I can say this, Arm, Arm, Armour Dean. And he was recounting his experience of watching this wildcat at the zoo. And while he was watching this wildcat, this guy, uh, one of the workers, walked into the enclosure with a broom and started sleeping. Well, the cat was in one corner, and he was started over here, which is, shows a little wisdom on his part. <laughs> so he starts sweeping, and he gets, and he's watching him get closer and closer to this wildcat. As he gets over to the wildcat, 
he hits the cat with the broom, like, get out of the way. And the cat turns around and hisses at him and gets up and walks to the other side and lays down in the other corner. He finishes sweeping. And so he's like, holy mackerel, what just happened? And so he goes and he talks to the guy and he asks him, and this is what he said to him. He said, uh, he said, you certainly are a brave man. And the guy says, no, I ain't brave. And he looks at him and he goes, well, then the cat must be tame. He said, no, that cat's not tame. <laughs> he says, if you aren't brave and the wild cat isn't tame, then I can't understand why he doesn't attack. And the man chuckled. And he replied with an air of confidence. And he said, mister, that cat's old. He ain't got no teeth. <laughs> and you're like, what does that have to do with the sermon? <laughs> well, I can assure you this. The enemy has teeth. But when he comes up against God, he ain't got no teeth. It's like the beaver in that commercial. When he bites down into the wrong pants. <laughs> the enemy has got teeth, but not when God doesn't allow it. And so if we're in the center of God's will, walking arm in arm, not allowing him to distract, let it be an encouragement and building up for one another, the enemy will be unsuccessful every time. Trust me, I needed this as much as any of you today. Because the enemy's at work. But we say no. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.